Okay, hey everybody, it's um, Mo, and I'm here with Powell today, and we are talking about, you guessed it, the Deccans of Taurus. Uh, what's nice is that Powell smashed record at 1.11 my time on April 23rd, 2021, and for those of you who don't know, I'm in Toronto. So um, yeah, I am really excited about this series of Deccans not because you know Taurus is special or anything just kidding I have my son here uh, <laughs> what about for you pal <laughs> very special I have my moon and my rising here so um I'm yeah I am especially excited I'm excited about all our episodes but especially this one and I mean Taurus stuff aside I am also very excited that you got a new microphone because you sound great and oh my god yes awesome. um funny story so I feel like this was like Venus. so okay venus is my co-time lord and the day of the ingress i i was like okay i need a microphone really badly and i know that my best friend wanted to get me one and he ordered it and he told me yeah it's coming like next week or something no it wasn't the venus ingress it was mercury and the sun um he's like yeah it's coming next week it shows up like the next day and i was like what he's like yeah i knew you had to record a podcast and i was just like dude that slaps it was great um it's funny because like with the kazimi that just finished up at the end of aries very beginning of taurus i was actually doing a lot of like just zoom stuff and podcast stuff over the last couple weeks in like the build-up to the kazimi and it's just like, oh, having a mic would be great. But now I have one. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know, I know we wanted to talk a bit about the astro weather. You just mentioned you see me. But I think one big thing that's actually happening today, I think after we were, were finished recording this, is Mars enters Cancer. No, it's been in Cancer since like... Been in Cancer since Sunrise what time? on the East Coast. A little after sunrise. Oh, yeah. See listen i woke up from this really intense dream so this is why i think the ninth house rules dreams sorry people who think it's the 12th it's the ninth house maybe the third maybe even the third that third ninth axis is very like dream stuff but anyway i woke up not too long after the ingress and i had an intense dream about like two other astro twitter users i don't know if you saw my tweet but like we were attending some weird like concert or party that beyonce was hosting because like she had a major milestone or something that she was celebrating and like we were at this party and these two awesome astros um ey washington on um twitter and then cielo suelo astro which is oscar um those are two people you should like totally get readings from. And I think their books are open. Anyway, they're both like my spiritual protection and they actually had legit like spiritual powers and shit. And it was so cool. But it's like, they're <laughs> these sketchy people. Cause you know, Beyonce's kind of this, like, I know people just think she's like pretty and performative, but like she's become like a cultural and even somewhat spiritual icon. Mm -hmm. Just the way she's been like popularizing certain elements of like, um, african diasporic like culture but especially like her symbolism of um african traditional religions and so there were some of those themes in the dream as well as others but 
yeah, those two had my back. We were all protected in there. <laughs> That's nice. Um, yeah, no, I so I'm I'm six hours behind East Coast time and then three behind West Coast time for anyone listening. And <laughs> so so I will like lose track of the transits like really easily. And it's like That's Astro funny. Twitter is sometimes the only thing that keeps me like remembering like, oh, yeah, this ingress happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, but yeah, Mars is in cancer. Um, everybody, let's try not to perceive threats where there are none. That's oh, all I'm going to say. Uh, what other astral weather, like, have you been subject I, to? <laughs> yeah, I did want to talk. I guess I'll take a step back. And, like, the Mars-Neptune square a couple of weeks ago was murder. <laughs> like, that was really rough. And it was just, like, a final gift in some ways from this, like, Mars and Gemini. And it was one of those things, like, you know, I, I out of all the transits um, of April, it was, like, not the one I was expecting was gonna just, like, wreck me the most. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, as soon as it went exact and then, like, as soon as it started separating, like, suddenly I just had, like, really, really huge breakthroughs mm-hmm. and, like, just realizations. Um, Mars rules my seventh house, so it was definitely stuff, like, a, a lot of stuff around close relationships. Um, not just romantic ones, but even just some of my friendships, too. So, um... Yeah, that whole yeah. week was not... That was not enjoyable, because I think, uh... I think what happened that week was... Wasn't the moon also in Gemini or something while that was happening? <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, like at the end of the week. And I remember I had to have a meeting with my supervisor. And it was just like, you caught me at the worst time. I found out that all this shit that I did, like all these experiments I did, just like didn't work. I found out why. And I was like, well, shit. So now I'm just presenting like, it's like, okay, here's this update, dude. Like, I don't have that much to show you because you caught me at a weird time. Like... Uh this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work. And of course, once Mars gets like more than three degrees away, like everything just works. (laughs) Everything just works. Yep. Yeah, it was like the same, like even, yeah, you're right, the moon was in Gemini and that like right when that um, transit went exact. But even Mm -hmm. like as it was like um, applying, like when the moon was still in Taurus, like and. I got some solace in like going on Astro Twitter and just seeing like not and no one was having a good time that Nobody. week. Like other tourist moons like me were also just like, this is a really shitty lunar return. Yup. And so yeah, I mean listen, say what you want about Mars and Cancer. Uh Mars at the very end of Gemini, especially while Neptune is at in the third deck in the Pisces, is just not enjoyable. You know, and then Mars was co-present with the North Node, not helping. I'm just like, you know what? I'm glad that Mars is away from all that confusing chaos. Because I think what a lot of people forget about the North Node is that if you look at the Vedic tradition, um, people can describe the North Node in terms of confusion or illusions. And guess what else manages that? Neptune. Uh, (laughs) so yeah, yeah. Like it was just not pleasant for wanting to have direction. And if you feel like you had direction, like as Gemini Mars was separating from Neptune and Pisces, you might feel like the clarity you have, you know, going into Mars and Cancer, you want to defend it aggressively. Just don't like, you know, 
again, perceived threats where there are none. It's going to be fine. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I know. I need to hear that because the other <sighs> like transit I wanted to talk about that's just starting now to separate is the Venus Uranus square. <laughs> Wait, and I think that it's for... the conjunction with Uranus, oh, sorry, but it's square. square. No, 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 it's squaring. It's gonna like square Saturn right after that. Oh, oh <laughs> thanks. You know what? I completely slept on that one. Thanks for the reminder. Yes, yeah, sorry, it's a conjunction. I got four hours of sleep right now, and this is why. So, um, yeah, the Venus Uranus square ended up for me. It really was surprises, and it was surprises around relationships. It was very, very literal. Like on Tuesday. Um, one of my girlfriends came over and I thought mm-hmm. we were just going to like have just some lighthearted hangout. Like, no, she ended up having just like this really deep heart to heart on me where she needed to call me out on a bunch of things. Um, <gasps> it was a very painful conversation, but it was very, very much like it was, it was necessary. It was needed. Like I came out of it feeling better and also just mm. feeling like grateful that I had a friend like this who could really be this like direct and honest with me. But mm-hmm. that was very, very out of nowhere. And then freaking last night, like also very, very out of the blue, like it's not something that's been on my mind at all. But like, mm-hmm. I had that, like, define the relationship talk with the guy I'm dating. And it went well, it, but it was also just something very, very out of the blue. There were a couple of surprises, but overall, like, I feel really good about it. Um, but there is just the inevitable anxiety that came from oh my goodness. those conversations. That I know. Is, no, that's wild. Um... <laughs> Did I have any surprise, like, Venus, Uranus things? I mean, not that I can think of off the top of my head. But, like, I will say people have been surprisingly helpful and kind. And I'm not used to that, especially with my working environment, um, which is another talk for another day. But um, uh, something else that we wanted to highlight is that it's a really good time that we're doing this podcast because up until maybe yesterday or two days ago, Venus, uh, the sun and Mercury were all in the first decade of Taurus. And we'll probably talk about more of what that felt like, like as we break down the decades, but yes, <laughs> I think we should talk about like the Taurus archetype. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to jump into the Deccans already, but yeah, let's take it a step back and talk about the Taurus archetype. Um, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> where do we begin? So like, we're just coming out of this like airy season, right? It's cardinal fire. Now we're just, we just jump straight to fixed earth. And for me, it like really is a shift. Like I, I'm already seeing tweets on the timeline of just like, oh, why does time, why did time feel like it got like slowed down significantly this week? It's like, oh, tourist season. (laughs) Yeah. And then everything, literally everything else, like besides, you know, other planets moved into Taurus, like, (laughs) and then Mars and Cancer. Yep. Things are going to be slow. Get used Mm -hmm. to it. Yeah, I, I we both we both have um, we both have luminaries, even let alone like just personal placements in mm-hmm. Taurus, and so I know it's something. And I have, I mean, my rising, like I'm a Taurus moon and a Taurus rising, so my rising sign is also in Taurus, and um, yeah, fixed, <laughs> fixed uh. Earth is fun. I. <laughs> um, 
I think we'll we'll definitely jump into this as we talk about the Deccans, but the Deccans really do tell this story of like it's it's planning and sowing and harp waiting and harvesting is just yes. like a lot of that that that's the Taurus archetype. Literally, it's like Aries is like, okay, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of like certain I don't know how old this agricultural practice is, but in some like cultures around the world they burn the soil or like they burn like the crops and then like they use the remnants to like start you know um plowing the soil or like preparing the soil for you know growing things and so it's like okay we cleared space and what does you know fixed earth that comes out of after cardinal fire do is that it does this thing where you um slowly start to it's like okay we have space to do things now. We have to like plan how this is going to go. We're going to grow this here. We're going to grow that there. And then you have to take time to cultivate. Like there's a very um, cultivating energy that is associated with Taurus as an archetype. And I think I really like the, um, I mean, you'll see this with a lot of the other earth signs, but more so with Taurus than any other earth sign that there's a lot of um, agricultural metaphors um, going on with the earth signs, but Taurus mo- more so, which makes sense because it's like also the, um, it's the home of Venus. Venus does have connotations of um, growing things, usually in the context of like reproduction, but also like just, um, but also like fruits. Venus usually rules like uh, plants that have fruiting bodies and things like that, um, regardless of the characteristics of the fruit. Um, that's Venus's domain. And so, the moon is also exalted in Taurus, which has connotations of nur- nurturing, nourishment, things that you use to um, sustain you, and things like that. Um, what Taurus is not is... <laughs> I feel like every time we get on this podcast, I'm just like, uh, let me just scold everyone on in the astrology verse about you know, their silly misconceptions about the signs. And <laughs> Taurus is not. Don't get me wrong. Taurus can be lazy. I'm not saying they can't. I would say inert is a better word for Taurus because it mm. wants to find an action to do consistently that will consistently yield pleasurable and comfortable results. Hello, uh, Venus's domicile, Moon's exaltation, <laughs> and it wants to do that. And it's like, okay, I want to do the thing that's going to feel the best, get the best quality, and do it consistently, so that I can consolidate something that I can rely on. And there is the potential to be lazy, but the thing about inert things is that. I need to stop like bringing in my weird science metaphors but like if you remember like physics as a kid in middle school like you just remember them talking about the laws of physics right and you know you know every action has an equal but opposite reaction and the whether an object is moving or not the state it's in it's said to be inert Things that want to move always want to move and they stay moving unless something forces it to, you know, do something different. And that's very much Taurus. Mm. 
So it's like they could be working hard, toiling all the time until something forces them to stop. Or they can um, just not move until something forces them to move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that is right. I think the other Taurus stereotype you hear a lot, that I remember when I was first learning astrology and, you know, yeah, I'm a Taurus moon rising. So I was like reading about Taurus and it's like, oh, Taurus mm-hmm. are, um, Tauruses are materialistic. And oh, that comes <sighs> a lot from, that definitely does come a lot from the alphabet system, which is unfortunate. And yeah, like Taurus can be like kind of like treat yourself, but it's not always going to necessarily be like wanting like material things. Like, um, and there are Tauruses that do get that kind of that comfort and nourishment from um, things, from possessions, but and money, but not always the case. Like, um, yeah. That that is just another stereotype I hear a lot more. Okay, like, oh, about listen. One day we will have a conversation about how the twelve-letter alphabet, which you know is nice for capitalism because they can sell you things about the zodiac, um, yes. has tricked people into thinking that the Earth signs, but most notoriously, um, Taurus and Capricorn, <laughs> are all about chasing the bag and money and <laughs> because I remember reading about um Taurus as an archetype and I was just like I don't give a fuck about money what what is this or like even the food thing especially when I was reading about Taurus as a teenager and um I had weird issues around like eating and appetite and body image and I'm like I don't do that I don't do that. And I know a lot of other Tauruses who don't do that. So it it was really strange. It's like, okay, yeah, I like things that feel good, but those don't have to be material. You know, sometimes it's something as simple as, you know, when you go to the beach and you like feeling your toes in the sand and then the feeling of water washing over your toes or like soft blankets I love soft blankets. I'm obsessed with them. I have a blanket collection in my closet. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I like being comfortable. (laughs) That doesn't mean I need to have, like, you know, an expensive car or lots of money. I just need stuff that will make me feel comfortable. Exactly. I and I think that is one thing, like a huge thing I've taken away from astrology because I, I, I didn't realize how important it is for like embodiment is for me or just like getting in touch with my senses, like how helpful that could be for me until like, I started studying astrology. I remember reading about that with the Taurus archetype of like, yeah, Taurus is very tactile. Like Taurus really does hone in on the senses. And I remember just thinking like, I'm like really not like that kind of person. But I pushed myself to really kind of explore that more and just everything you just described on like, yeah, I'll sit on a beach and the experience will be like a hundred times better if I'm actually sitting there and I'm like really feeling the sand between my toes and like in my hands. And like, I'm actually really feeling the wind Mm -hmm. and smelling the ocean air and like feeling jumping in the water. Like, yeah. 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 And you know, as someone who has um, K2 and Taurus co-present with my son, I struggle with embodiment. I mean, if you think about K2, what's ironic is that it's like a body 
with no head. And so there's this disconnect that I feel, but it's like, you know what? I'm starting to realize as I get older, um, because Taurus is my third house, like, it's like, I need to live in a neighborhood that feels comfortable, has pleasurable sights, has pleasurable sounds. Um, Because if I don't have that, I'm not going to feel comfortable and I'm not going to like it. (laughs) So, yeah, I think a lot of people just need to let go of the Taurus's money and resources and like that can be true but it's like I think it's also a misunderstanding of the second house because again capitalism money um I've really started to tap into um the second house as also things and resources that help sustain us like Mm -hmm. it's also the talents you own so that you can go earn the money it's not necessarily the money it's the skills you use to earn money um it's you know the resources you need to use money for it's not just the money but like all we see is the money and it's like Mm -hmm. okay it's like your relationship to shelter food like less so like you know like your home but like more so like are you safe from the elements are you um nourishing yourself are you do you have the resources to sustain your flesh suit like these are not enjoyable things to think about, but, and this is why, you know, even though it's right next to the first house, it's an aversion. It's not something you enjoy doing. It's something you have to do to maintain mm-hmm. your flesh suit. And it is what it is, but. And I do think too, like it's, you know, I've heard yeah, sometimes the second house also gets described as like our values and it makes sense. That makes sense to me. Cause it's like, if the second house is our resources and how we allot those resources, like, like how we choose, like how to allot our resources very much is based on just like what we value. So yeah, I mean, maybe there are some Tauruses out there who really like value their bag and that's like fine and all, but yeah, I do. I do think we have to challenge like our capitalist like notions of just like money is like the only resource. What about our time too? What about our energy? What about mm-hmm. like um, our talents, right? And just like how we use them, where we allocate them, all that kind of yeah and then like i also think about mars's uh detriment in taurus and i don't know like i think that's where some of the laziness um archetype comes from but some of the hardest working people i know have taurus placements especially taurus mars like once especially for all the fixed Marses, but probably Taurus the most. Like, once they get going, they don't stop for anything. And I think... um, I don't know. Like, it's just... I really don't like the laziness. All I do is I'm just a couch potato all day. And it's like... Yeah, that can be true, but like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. I think the way you described it earlier on the inertia or inert is right. Because I think, yeah, once they do get going, like they will get going. Um, but even on that 
point, right? Or that question. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, Mars and Taurus, um, as well as other Taurus placements, may also just prefer to do things on their own time. And a lot of times that, that, that can go against the grain of our capitalist society. And so, um, yeah, Taurus does <laughs> tend to want to take its time, but it's like once they've like made that decision, it's just like, oh, yeah, it might, it might, they'll just keep going. They might not stop. Yeah. Um, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is that um, I guess I'm just thinking about the. Um, so elements have certain qualities, which are combinations of, you know, relative heat and or uh drier wetness and i've noticed that mars either likes to be cold and wet or hot and dry it doesn't like to be cold and dry it doesn't like to be hot and wet (laughs) you know it so just seeing how you know mars has its well actually no mars can like to be cold and dry under saturnian like principles because if you look at its exaltation and capricorn Mm. but that's extreme mars likes extremes um taurus is a benefic world sign which is benefics are like more moderate they're not extreme malefics are extreme and you know mars can be it's like because mars's nature is hot and dry right mars really does well with that and it's overpowered in scorpio because it brings a heat to the um the coldness and the wetness of scorpio it's like okay i'm bringing some heat here and it's like useful it's like heat for a constructive purpose it's like heat to keep people warm whereas like the heat and dryness of aries is literally just about um burning things and destruction sorry aries people but then if you look at like the um kind of like the birthing nature of Aries because it's like I'm overcoming this energetic hurdle to start something which is cardinal fire it makes sense you want something hot and dry enough to um, ignite and start that flame so you can get this process going and when you have a Venus ruled sign where it's like okay I'm cold and dry but like in a temperate way that's more for growing and not like destroying to make room for things or like you know um trying to bring warmth to something it's just kind of like well what do i do here it's not comfortable here you know um yeah it's just not extreme enough it's not edgy enough you know (laughs) it's just not um and so i think that people struggle with Taurus wanting to do things on its own time and uh I would say Taurus is probably like okay I don't want drama I just want things to feel good more than anything and so Mars wants conflict Mars needs to um you know push conflict to you know make things go in a direction like that's kind of hard when you're trying to focus on consolidating maximizing Mm. pleasurable resources i think another thing that can that highlights just like 
yeah, I, I, Taurus, I think <laughs> Taurus doesn't like extremes um, for sure. And just the fact that there isn't a planet that is in its fall in Taurus, right? And I do think planets in their fall tend, you know, in the way is like, you know, planets in detriment tend to be, um, for lack of a better word, like depleted, um, you know, in the thing that they want to do. So like, you know, with Mars and Taurus, like Mars really wants to like just kind of go and like be in extremes and it's like mm-hmm. slows them down in Taurus. I think planets in the fall can be a little bit an opposite where they can lean toward excessive. And the fact that there's no planet in its fall in Taurus just like stands out to me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there mm-hmm. isn't a planet mm-hmm. that there that can do too much <laughs> in Taurus. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the Taurus archetype? No, I'm ready to jump into the Deccans. Ooh, okay. Um, the Deccans of Taurus were interesting to sit with. Um, and so the reason I say this is not, I'm like considering the tarot perspective because um, if anybody owns T. Susan Chang's um, 36 Secrets, um, you will probably have noticed this, but if you don't own it, literally go get a copy ASAP. It's so good. Everybody needs to read this book. It will change your brain. But anyway, um, <laughs> so the major associated with Taurus is the Hierophant. And what people don't realize is that they're like, oh, the Hierophant is just this like gatekeeping, tradition loving, whatever. And it's like, no, this is actually a very spiritual card. It's like the high priest. (laughs) Okay. This is somebody who, how do we put this? It's like, okay, this is somebody who has access to divine wisdom and encourages people who are following a practice to live their lives in a way where they're honoring their commitments to you know whatever they believe in or whatever they find valuable um it's like okay how can i align my daily practice and my daily living with what's valuable to me what's important to me what i believe in and a lot of people sleep on that (laughs) and uh some of the imagery of just thinking about the associated minors and the other majors that combine to like give them their sort of meanings it's just like there's a lot of underlying spiritual magical stuff that comes up especially in the first maybe the first two decans more so than the last Mm -hmm. but yeah i don't know if you felt that way because i know you have yeah (laughs) yeah i do have the book now and i'm loving it also definitely recommend anyone or everyone get it yeah, I think on the magic thing for the first two decans of Taurus, to me, it's like no surprise that they're both Mercury ruled decans, you know, depending mm-hmm. on the system that you use. And it's just a reminder to me of just like how like Mercury loves magic and it loves tricks. And so <laughs> I I'm in no way like, it, it, yeah, it was just kind of a cool way to just kind of look at that. Um, yeah, on the like, you know, her book talks about with Taurus one, like, yeah, this Taurus as a whole is ruled by the Hierophant, but uh, I like that she, in particular for this Deccan, um, when talking about like, so this Deccan's ruled by the Five of Pentacles, um, 
or is associated, mm-hmm. sorry, associated with the five of pentacles. And so she talks like not just about the hierophant, but also the magician as well. And I really, and then I really liked how she kind of just overlaid that with the fact that just this deck in as well as that tarot card, the five of pentacles is about this, this planning and this worrying and the, just like interplay of those two things no i'm glad that you mentioned that because in the triplicity system the first decan of taurus um which austin refers to as the plow uh she calls this um what is it like hold on i gotta scroll down in my notes no wrong section oh sacred doubt um which is really telling because um venus is the ruler in the triplicity system of this Deccan. And something that's slept on about Venus is how Venus rules like the aesthetic planning and decoration of religious rituals. And so when you think about that in the context of the Hierophant's association with Taurus, it's like, if you've gone to, I don't care what religion, it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, whatever. There are aesthetic symbols and, um, rites and routines and things that are usually present at whether you go to a service or like whether you're um, observing a holiday. Um, There are, you know, icons, decorations, like, and things like that. And so because Venus is like the preferred domicile, I mean, Venus's preferred domicile is Taurus, um, which... I need you guys to recognize this is Taurus's, I mean, sorry, Venus's preferred home. Okay. Like Venus is associated with the planning of the ritual. And so I feel like that shows, especially with this particular Deccan, because Mm -hmm. I know Austin talks a lot about, um, you know, knowing how to divide like the land and, you know, following rules of geometry and how things are arranged. But, um, I feel like that also shows up like outside of agricultural contexts as well. Like, you know, there are a lot of people who are like designers or into fashion or associated with fashion who have placements in this decan. And whether it's, you know, architects or clothing designers or um, literal like people who work the land, um, you'll see really quickly that. Um, just knowing how to like divide and combine things yeah. whether it's for like aesthetic or ritual purposes is like a common theme yeah i'm i'm excited about my examples for all the decans this time around because i think i found some good ones including ones for like placements in this particular decan but before mm-hmm. i jump even into that like on this idea of like so yeah this decan's associated with just like the planning and worrying and um it is just this constant dance of like we plan because we worry right we worry that things Mm -hmm. will go wrong or we recognize that there are bad things that like can happen that are like out of our control like how do you like take steps to mitigate what you're worrying about but also have faith that like things will work out um and mm-hmm. I think, you know, the fact that this Deccan's Mercury and Venus ruled, like, I, I, Mercury, like, clearly does well here. Because, yeah, merc- mercurial things like communication and details can really come in handy with planning and preparing. And then also what I was saying earlier about just Mercury and, 
liking magic and tricks and stuff too um with venus being here like i i really like what you said about just the the beauty and the ritual planning as well um but i think also what i thought about was that um we worry because we care that's usually mm-hmm. what, what things tend to mm-hmm. be right and so um whether it's like a care that we have about loved ones or a care that we have about like our security and safety and like all that kind of stuff. Like I think Venus can absolutely be like a part of that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think Uh, I can like read some of the other like descriptions that um, like other ancient authors and writers had for the Deccans, just so you can see where people like Austin Kopic and T. Susan Chang were drawing from. <clears throat> um, so Ibn Ezra says that this is a woman with hair who has a son who wears clothes partly burnt. And so this kind of carries the connotation of, you know, people who are struggling. And that does show up in this Deccan sometimes, like dealing with struggle or lacking. Um, the Picatrix says a woman of curly hair having a single child who is dressed in clothes like unto fire, and she herself dressed in similar clothes. And this is a face of plowing and working the earth, of science, geometry, sowing seed, and making things. Agrippa says, a naked man, an archer, harvester, or husbandman, and goeth forth to sow, plow, build, people, and divide of the earth, according to the rules of geometry. Um, let me see. Da, 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 da. I'm just going to read the description from the Yavana Jataka, which is this. So it's this uh, Indian text that was, you know, about the transmission of certain elements of Greek astrology to India, like, cause there was crosstalk between the people during, I guess, like the, whatever empire that was established by Alexander the Great, which spanned much of Europe, the Mediterranean, Middle East, and went all the way to India. Um, Anyway, so the first decanate in Taurus is a black woman winning hearts by a profusion of sidelong glances. Round her neck, she wears a garland full of um, flowers. She shines forth holding an axe in her hand. Her body is bowed down to by cowherds. And so there's connotations of, you know, like, I mean, she has an axe, I guess, ready to sculpt things and she seems to be worshipped by um, people who like tend to cattle and so there's this element of just knowing how to you know work the land you know combine anything whether it's um, numbers because I know if you read 36 secrets she does talk about uh, drawing the five of pentacles whenever she's doing like accounting work or coding (laughs) or something like that and I thought that was really cool um (laughs) and which makes sense because Mercury is like one of the main decanic rulers of this decan and Mercury is all about like calculating and tabulating and you know relaying that information to people um and so yeah like we can jump into some of our examples I have some really good ones Yeah, before we jump into the examples, I wanted to talk about the moon's exaltation degree. <gasps> yes. In this yes. Second. Okay, so, okay, so, yeah, before we jump into the examples, I wanted to talk about the fact that the moon's exaltation degree is here, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, we talked about earlier, the moon's exalted in Taurus, but its exaltation degree is three degrees, 
Taurus and so my moon's at zero degrees Taurus it's it's, it's pretty close to this exaltation degree mm-hmm. and so um and and my moon's in the first house so I feel like like the way that kind of comes up for me I mean you were just talking a lot about just like the very very fine detailed kind of work like mm-hmm. that is absolutely how I approach taking care of my body constantly I'm like almost just like weirdly scientific about it like I think something people don't realize because they'll see my lifting videos and stuff and like and lifting can be very mar be very mars but no for me it's absolutely like my Taurus moon driving <laughs> all of this is one <laughs> one it does come from this Taurus place so yeah it makes me feel good like that's first and foremost what it is it's like really really makes me feel good but like um I'm like, you know, I've been going to my gym for like the past six years and I'm like the only one who still carries around a notebook where I like write down the workbook and I'm just like telling like how many sets I did. And then like I went through a phase of like having to record all of this on spreadsheets. Um, I'm the kind of person who like I wore a Fitbit, not because I wanted to like count my steps, but because like I really wanted to track my sleep. (laughs) And I just got like a freaking kick out of just like oh my god I got like a 92 like a score on my sleep wait (laughs) um (laughs) yeah because your moon rules the third house and the third house can have to do with like writing your daily routines um and stuff and like I know it's associated with like early education so I'm wondering if like how your experience of that was like oh what what I was like in like my K to 12 days like oh yeah yeah I I, I'd always been like a really really good student and I um and it is because of just like my freaking meticulousness on this kind of work and I get like just pure enjoyment out of it (laughs) like I'd always been like that like I still remember being in fourth grade and there was a teacher of mine who like I had to go on vacation for a whole month because my family like needed, we needed to go back to the Philippines. And so um, she gave me like one like art project to do while I was out. It's like freaking fourth grade. I was nine years old. Like I came back with it fully completed and the project itself was due like a week after I was supposed to arrive, but it was like done. I was like the first person to freaking turn this thing in. I was just on vacation for like a month. That's the kind of student. <laughs> like, wow. freaking god that that is too good um it's interesting because i have um i have two other um do i have two yeah i have two taurus um moon examples where they have that zero degree um taurus moon uh they're not people that you might like very much so one of them is prince charles charles Uh, he has that moon uh, at zero degrees Taurus in his 10th whole sign house, co-present with Rahu. <laughs> and wow. if you think of Rahu, um, it's like an eclipse point. So whenever, I know in the Vedic system, whenever um, the sun or moon is conjoined Rahu or Ketu, it doesn't matter if there's an eclipse or not. The luminary is considered to be eclipsed because it's near an eclipse point. And... It's interesting how the moon can represent, it can represent, you know, like mother, the concept of mother, but also um, it can be associated with like feminine figures and, um, you know, also wives. And I think it's interesting how he's overshadowed by his 
first wife, but also like his potential to ascend to the throne is like eclipsed by his own mother. <laughs> and he's basically kind of living in her shadow more or less. But one thing I found interesting about reading his bio is that it's interesting because he's considered like the hardest working Royal because he goes on all these engagements. Um, a lot of them to like foreign countries and things. And one thing I found interesting was there's this huge part on his wiki bio about like, he's very particular about aesthetic. Like I was reading his bio and there was this whole thing that he dedicated. He was like, Oh, I want to bring back kind of classical architecture. He's like, all this modern architecture is so he's like, where are the curves? Like, where's this? Where's that? I'm so tired of just seeing like glass and straight lines and this. And so some of his charity projects are about like, preserving um he does preserve historical um buildings through some of his charities not just in the uk but also abroad um in foreign countries and i think he donated through one of his charities um money to redesign um parts of the haitian capital uh port-au-prince i'm not saying that correctly but um he wanted to like preserve some of the historical integrity of and like that feels very like moon in the first decade you're like okay i'm concerned with aesthetic i need this aesthetic to be a certain way and like the 12th house can be all about like charity and things so it's like okay it's interesting that he has charities for this specific purpose that's a great example i do have one more taurus moon example and mine's a kind of sad one actually it's audrey lord and oh. so, yeah, so she had her moon in Taurus at the exaltation degree or close to it, um, maybe mm -hmm. about a degree away in her eighth house ruling her 10th. And so, you know, Audre Lorde's a famous poet and feminist, but one thing that um, she became most well known for was um, so much of her work revolved around her very long battle with cancer. Mm -hmm. And... You know, anyone who follows me on Twitter will see a lot of my jokes about, like, like first house moon and Taurus privilege of, like, just being in really, like, good health. And, um, you know, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, with Audrey Lord, hers is in the eighth house. She did have this really long battle with cancer. At the same time, it was 14 years that she, like, still fought to stay alive until she unfortunately passed. But, you know, a what came out of it was so much writing um, and one of her books is the cancer journals. It was like an incredibly detailed and personal um, autopathnography. And it really was one of the first of its kind of someone really, really documenting the journey of going through mm -hmm. like battling cancer. And this is a woman who, I mean, she was first diagnosed in the seven, like late seventies, I believe. And then finally passed like some 14 years later. So this is well before the time of the internet. And it just makes me think a lot now about how so many people who are cancer survivors um, blog, you know, right? Or um, post on social media about like what, and are very, very open about this process. It really just makes me think a lot about this. Yeah, she's got this Taurus moon in the eighth house ruling that 10th house. Oh my goodness. I have another Taurus moon example. It is our current president. I still say our because I'm still a U.S. citizen, so don't come for me. Um, our current president, um, Joseph R. Biden, uh, he has his moon in the Taurus sixth house, actually not too far from the lot of fortune in the Stecken as well. 
And I was reading his bio and I didn't really find as much about like his health things. Like, I mean, he, for one, he's like survived some like weird health shit of his own. Um, but something that I was interested in is like the eighth house ruling, like other people's nanny, but also like financial legacies. And so he kind of has this, I think for a while during his Senate, runs and like his senate career he was known as the um one of the poorest members of congress but what was ironic is that every year that he ran for senate re-election despite not having as much money he still won his seat every time while he was in the senate and i feel like that's that moon conjunct the lot of fortune <laughs> in taurus uh. Yeah, you know, yeah. On, on the comment on like his moon being in the sixth house, like yeah, we don't know very much about his health. It seems, I mean, he seems fine right now, especially given his age. But it was, it was really interesting to see how much speculation there was around that, around his health, even, yeah. right? Like people, especially the opposition, just caught. But even people on his own side just constantly questioning, like still questioning, like how, how much longer is he going to make it? Like it was just yeah. really interesting how much under scrutiny that is that's weird um i have other examples for this decan oh one of my favorite examples is barbara streisand she actually has a taurus stellium in her second whole sign house um so she has the sun and mercury so mercury is not kazemi it's combust um and what's interesting is that okay this is why you know, considering the luminaries as your parents, regardless of which, is really cool. Because if you look at her biography, and she, when she was, just before she turned one years old, her father suddenly died of, um, like, an epileptic seizure or something. And her mom had to become the breadwinner of the family. And her mom took on all these um, low-paying bookkeeping jobs. Um, to, you know, basically keep the family afloat. And she, and I feel like that's like Mercury conjunct the sun, you know, sun is like parent. The parent who like, you know, provides the authority, provides the, you know, light to your life. You know what I mean? And then um, what happened? So she herself also worked a lot of like random menial jobs while she was like trying so hard to be an actress like her just reading her biography and just knowing how legendary she is is really um fascinating and what was interesting is that mercury because i said the second house can speak to your talents and a lot of people talk about how taurus mercury's usually have really good singing voices and with mercury in its own decan and taurus from a young age, um, Barbara was really well known for her voice. And apparently, because um, the third house also rules like your neighborhood early education, when she was young and um, the PTA, PTO organizations and stuff would have talent shows, uh, she would perform. And it kind of cemented like, I want to be an actress. I want to be a singer. I want to be a star, basically. Because she had the talent and that's what she was known for, like locally. And so I think that's interesting that um, that plays out in her chart, especially also with the sun ruling the fifth house as well in that decade. Mm. You know? Yeah. I have a couple of 
quick examples that I just like really want. Of course, to yeah, yeah, so yeah. I also have a Mercury and Taurus example. So William Lilly, the famous astrologer, <laughs> has Mercury retrograde in this decade, decade in his third house. Um, he also has Sun, but in Taurus too, and. I think he's a great example of like this meticulousness mm-hmm. and the planning that could come with mm-hmm. having Mercury in this decade because he's a well-known astrologer, but I think what he's most well-known for is his horary astrology. And like mm-hmm. anyone who studies horary now, like you will inevitably study William Lilly's stuff because he took such detailed records of his horary consults and like how they turned out and just uh, and then just like it just the, the notes are just like extremely extremely like just like a treasure trove of just horary examples oh my god i have another example uh mackenzie scott um jeff bezos ex-wife she has <gasps> she has mercury in this decan actually um she also has a venus moon conjunction at five degrees so not too far from the exaltation degree and she basically helped Jeff Bezos build Amazon so that she Dang. could go so that she could go fuck off and write books and raise kids like because that's all she cared about <laughs> literally wow. and i think wow. they both met at a cushy like i can't remember if it was a finance job or a publishing job but i think it was a finance job actually um cuz she was doing it just so she could like fund herself while she was trying to be a writer and you know they got married quickly fell in love quickly like they were co-workers and yeah she helped him build his empire that paid off a lot (laughs) (laughs) okay a lot yes Mm. happy for her (laughs) good for her good for her i think my final examples just these are gonna be real quick the i i know someone with sun and taurus in the first decans leonardo da vinci who also has venus and taurus but in the third decan and you know yeah he has a confirmed birth time which is pretty cool but yeah everyone knows i mean leonardo da vinci is just like known for like not just being like an amazing and exceptional artist he was also an engineer and he was also a scientist and he had just like a bazillion you know he's the the renaissance man is like where that term you know kind of comes from right Mm -hmm. um I think my last example, I have a good Venus and Taurus one. So Catherine de' Medici, who was the king of France. Um, people will often talk about the moon as mother, but people will sleep on Venus also, like representing the archetype sometimes. And mm-hmm. so she she was able to rule France through her three sons. She actually had zero power when she was queen, when she was actually married to the king, because the king like favored his mistress. He passes. And so when she, she has three sons, she ends up ruling through them. She was really known for her patronage of the arts. And one thing really funny about her is she was also an astrologer, actually. And there was a lot of suspicions. What? Of she, was, like, into, she was like into witchcraft and stuff. She probably was. <laughs> so. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. You know those royals. They're, they're all about that shit. They really <laughs> are. <laughs> they really are. But yeah, those are all my examples. Yeah, no. I was going to do like Queen Elizabeth. Um, because hers is in the which, fifth whole sign. Which Queen, Queen Elizabeth? Elizabeth the the second the second oh i think queen elizabeth the first i think if i remember correctly she does have a taurus moon in the fifth house actually let me pull up her chart too i remember um seeing that because she was one of my examples because i had a fertility thread back uh oh it was like 2019 yeah like two years ago i made like a fertility thread looking at the first triplicity lord of the what was it the fifth house um 
your moon, the fifth house ruler, the sign on the fifth house, and I was using whole signs. And she had a very like fertile fifth house, but she had no children. So it was like, huh? <laughs> you have all these like things going, but you like chose not to have children. That was interesting. I, I'm, um, I'm gonna have to dig up that thread. 2019 seems like <clears throat> eons ago. By eons ago. That thread. <sighs> yes. Yep. I'm Taurus. Oh, let me see. Oh my God, Queen Elizabeth the first. Um, she is a Taurus moon in the wow. fifth house sign house in the first decade. Uh, what's ironic is she never she never married because like um the moon is um ruling her seventh house she never married like ever (laughs) so i don't know how to i don't know how that played out for her i mean she did have like potential suitors from what i remember correctly and i know she was like a patron of the arts as well because um a lot of like art and thought and philosophy flourished in the elizabethan era in um England when she was ruler and so I mean there is that but aside from relationships children nope she didn't do any of that (laughs) I mean she might have but like she didn't take a consort she ruled by herself so (laughs) very interesting (laughs) um but no Elizabeth II Liz our current well not our current the current queen um she has hers and her son in the fifth whole sign house and i just think about like all the um scandals with her children and how she's gone to great lengths to manage her legacy around children and um something about um Elizabeth II and her current iteration of the monarchy is that um, you know she's you know good at managing the reputation of the family but like I think there are also themes or things about um, the commonwealth breaking apart and stuff like that under her reign um, that might be relevant but I'm not sure how much that can be explained by other things in her chart which we'll yeah. probably talk about later um I have better examples for Taurus 3 because I'm biased. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we jump to Taurus 3, ready to jump to Taurus 2. Yes, I really love this Deccan, um, especially <laughs> as um, T. Susan described it, because it's, oh my goodness, like, just, okay, so if you remember us talking about Aries 3 and basically what... Um, T. Susan does in 36 Secrets is she talks about the um, the major the major arcanas that influence the meanings of the minor because each of the majors has um, planetary or sign based um, sorts of um, I guess meanings and so like Aries 3 which featured the empress and the emperor which kind of correspond to each other their counterparts right um in this case we have the hierophant or the high priest and the high priestess and their counterparts to one another and so there's this sense of balance and completion that's like reinforced within the second like what did you think of that 
Yeah, that stood out to me. It also, um, <laughs> it also made me think about like so Austin's workshop on the Deccans. Um, I remember him describing this particular Deccan as the most solid of the Deccans. Like mm-hmm. this is like a Taurus is already fixed Earth. This is like the most <laughs> fixed <laughs> of the three. And so, um, and I, I think that comes from that balancing, right? And the mm-hmm. tarot card associated with this is the six of pentacles and so um and so when i and you know in the six of pentacles like he's holding a scale right which is Mm -hmm. always going to symbolize that balance but even on when you're talking about the hierophant and the high priestess there's balance there too right of just like this outward or um the way um t susan puts it is like the um the high priestess represents this kind of like 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 blocking off the access to divine whereas like the hierophant's like okay i'm gonna present you the divine but it's gonna be in this kind of this packaged way that like i'm gonna do it yeah like i thought that was really really um beautiful especially because it also describes this sort of um exchange and something she mentions is that like the sixes in uh tarot or transactional it's about how people assist you or come to your aid. Um, but I feel like the transactional nature, I mean, this characterizes all the middle decans of the fixed signs, if you think about it. But um, I find that it's most evident in uh, Taurus 2 because um, <clears throat> there's this sort of, um, like, what do I need to do? <coughs> Sorry, what do I need to do um, for somebody and how will they help me in return or vice versa? You know, and it's like giving somebody protection and exchange for comfort. And and I think it's interesting that um, this is the moon's decan and, you know, the sun and moon and their exaltation are kind of seen as royal or uplifted in some way. And that's something that she does talk about in this section of the book. Yes. I think um, another thing I think of... Um, you know, you were you were talking earlier about just like the tar the Taurus archetype of just like being inert, and it makes me even just think of what the, the law of inertia is. The law of inertia even is right, and so um, I do think this decking can very much be about like consistently consistently balanced action over time. Like the consistency mm-hmm. is just what I think about there. Um, there, there can be inertia with Taurus for sure, but it's like at the same time, like you were saying earlier, once <laughs> once it gets moving, like it's just gonna like keep keep going too. Yeah, and I think like something that shows the most in the Thirty Six Secrets version is like there's this part where she talks about um, needing to humble yourself, mm. and I think about the imagery on the. Um, the six of pentacles card and it's like you see people there's like a rich person holding a scale who also has coins and then there are people who need help it's almost like humbling yourself to receive um divine intervention that she kind of talks about and it kind of reinforces this whole exchange it's like regardless of your social location or anything like that um i know austin talks about work-life balance Um, in his workshop and you know you can't like maintain the um like wealth and resources you have from like working so hard if all you do is work you need to balance that and it's like sometimes if you need help 
it's okay to ask for help. Because sometimes like opening yourself up to help gives you that little push you need to get something you were working for off the ground. Um, and yeah, like it's, and there's something about treating people who might come from different like levels of whatever with equity that um, Austin does talk about in his um, lecture. And I find that, I, I mean, it'll make more sense when I bring up one of my examples. I'm probably sure we have the same one. <laughs> oh my God. No, I actually, I, 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 I don't, yeah, well, yeah, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see which examples we both no, share. But, but uh, I, I do, do you want to say too. anything else before I like read the, the descriptions yeah i think that like on the note of what you just said on the humbling yourself i think part of like another thing that popped up with me on this deck in is um the ability to be able to accept that you don't and won't know everything mm -hmm. and i think about like when even just the association with the high priestess um with this card right and it's like when you really truly accept that like that true peace and balance and stability like can come but there is like a lot of like again like even just with the first second just a lot of that faith kind of comes in so i think yes too, about even just that like with the, the fact that this deck is also ruled by mercury it's a moon mercury mm -hmm. deck in. <laughs> and so um like the first second like yeah i, I think mercury does w well here in a similar way that it does in taurus one where mercury likes magic but i think the difference here is like while mercury in deck of one is just all about just kind of the meticulousness and the tricks like mercury here i think it's like the, there's more of the emphasis on the faith than not as much on the meticulousness. Although I do have yes. some good examples of Mercury and Taurus in this deck too that can still yeah. some of that can still come out. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm just gonna read the <clears throat> descriptions from like certain ancient authors again. So Ibn Ezra says that this is a man that resembles a ram in his face and in his body, who has a wife who resembles an ox. His fingers are like a goat's hooves, and that man is very hot and gluttonous, and he does not give his soul any rest. He builds land and drives the oxen to plow and sow. The Picatrix says, a man like the figure of a camel, having on his fingers are hooves like those of cows, and he is covered completely with a torn linen sheet. He desires to work the land and to sow and to make things, and this is a face of nobility power and of rewarding the people agrippa says this is a naked man holding in his hand a key it giveth power nobility and dominion over people okay so the key symbolism shows up a lot with the um the hierophant um because he's literally holding a key <clears throat> and so the whole connotation of like the high priestess having like being the ultimate you know gatekeeper to the divine and like interfacing with the hierophant to like who acts as a bridge between you and the high priestess who's like literally like the divine right like i think that that really shows very loud it's like hmm like rewarding people for good works it's like if you're really so committed to these principles your beliefs and you have faith in them here i'm going to give you some keys to understanding and that's very like mercurial um Okay, the Yavana Jataka says, the second decan in Taurus is a red-faced woman whose arms and lower lip are also red. She's preeminent as she stands on one foot holding a jar. 
She is always intent on eating and drinking and delights in gardens and woods. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> that one is really funny. Um, yeah, examples. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I have my ascendant here in this second. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, even what you were just kind of reading about, like when you were responding to just like the key imagery, right, is like, um, and the fact that the moon and Mercury rule this decade for me, mm-hmm. like being introspective, I think is one of my favorite things about myself. And it is a really, really big like driver. And some of this is also just like my fourth house stuff, right? Of just like constantly like just needing like that quiet time to just figure out how to balance like everything like going on in my life. And so um, it's a challenge, but yeah, having so much fire and so much earth, like, um, mm-hmm. it is, yeah, it is, I, I do like having my ascendant in this decade. Um, it is really kind of cool, too, that the, my ascendant ruler is this Leo Venus that, like, almost exactly squares my ascendant, too. But we'll talk about the Leo decade some other time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, my ascendant is here um, in terms of examples. So um, I have a son in Taurus example, and it's Karl Marx. I was, <laughs> was going to say Karl Marx. Not <laughs> only is he a son, he's an um, eclipse baby. Yes. Yep. He's an eclipse baby. <laughs> and he's got Venus and Taurus in the third decade. <laughs> so no, really I, I have to talk about that one. That one's really good. But uh, I don't know about you for Karl Marx. I feel like the second... Austin started talking about this I was like I know Karl Marx is a Taurus and I looked at, I was looking at uh his chart this was back like last year after Norwalk and I was like oh he started yeah work-life balance like treating subordinates equally I was like Karl Marx Karl Marx this has an it. <laughs> like and lo and behold freaking Karl Marx has a freaking eclipse in this decade in his fourth whole sign house is it in the fourth house? It's I in the fourth thought, whole sign house. Oh my god, I thought it was in the first or the second house, actually. Nope, fourth whole sign house. Oh my god. Hold on, let me, let me pull up his chart again. Chart. Ah, yeah, you're right. It is the fourth whole sign house. Um yeah, I <laughs> this did like I, I also have looked at this chart many, many times before. Um, it does like really freaking stand out to me. Um, obviously, I mean, Karl Marx is known for like, yeah, he wrote the Communist Manifesto. He wrote about communism and it, it spurred <laughs> what we know now is like a ton of revolutions worldwide. And but I think one thing about Karl Marx, too, is that just while he was alive, um, I think a lot of what spurred this was um, just even his own struggles with being able to make ends meet and provide for his family. Mm-hmm. He was married to a woman from a very, like, noble, like, old money family. And yeah. so like, constantly had to hit up her family um, for um, to support them but yeah i do know that like a lot of central to a lot of this is work is just like even just his own problems with you know like the thing is he actually didn't come from a family that was that poorly off either i'll talk more about his family in um what is it um tours three because there's some interesting narratives there but um yeah, his wife, uh, she was noble and she was actually engaged to some other guy and everybody was mad because uh, 
even though like his family was like comfortably middle class like she was in a whole different like league and she basically terminated her um engagement to this other noble guy to marry Karl Marx and you know they did have a shit ton of kids and it seemed to be a very like loving relationship because he also wrote a lot of like love poetry about her and stuff <laughs> before he got into um like you know politics and philosophy and things but something i thought of is because the son rules his seventh holstein house so it's not just his wife but he formed this really lifelong like collaborative partnership and even friendship with um frederick frederick angles and they wrote um the communist manifesto and dust capital together um and it was when marx died and they were all exiled together in um london um it was actually Engels who um, preserved Marx's legacy and finished some of his um, manuscripts and stuff that weren't completed before he died and made sure that they would get published. Um, so I thought that was really uh, neat. And I thought that was really sweet, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, wow. Uh, I... Okay, so other examples. So I have a Mercury and Taurus example because, yeah, this is um, still another Mercury ruled Taurus second. But um, there's a famous um, Renaissance artist um, named Albrecht Durer who has his Mercury here. And, you know, I was not a history major. So, um, yeah. And um, this was like in his ninth house um, with his midheaven actually being Taurus three. But I thought he was a good example because. He's really, he's well known for being a very, very, very prolific artist. He produced mm -hmm. like 100 paintings, 250 woodcuts, engraving, like 100 engravings, and then a thousand drawings. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he's most famous for his engravings and woodcuts, which is basically like you get this like piece of wood and you're just like etching into it and you need to like get those lines and those details like really really like kind of plugged in and so um I really thought a lot about just the, that mercury mm -hmm. but I think what again like this the distinguishment between like this first decan and then this decan is like um he was obviously a really hard worker but um the only way he would have been able to produce this much is to have like a <laughs> giant like studio full of apprentices who did most of the cutting actually so he did he focused on the drawing he like focus most on the cutting so that it, like and he had apprentices focus on the cutting so mm -hmm. it just that made me think of just even like um again the faith and trust that kind of like gets like in the unknown that kind of comes up with this deck into of just like yeah this is about hard work um going back to the farming <laughs> like metaphors of just like <laughs> okay you've planted your seeds and you've like cultivated and yeah but you also have to kind of wait <laughs> and harvest you wait for the harvest yeah um I mean, I have other examples. So um, Kobe Bryant has his moon in the fifth house in um, Taurus, ruling his seventh. And he actually met his wife, like, you know, when they were both pretty young. And she was actually a performer, like, at first. Like, she was a dancer. And that's how they met. And apparently there was a time in... 20 like 11 through 2013 where they were like considering ending their marriage but like in 2013 they decided to stay together instead mm. and i know that like they had a aside from that like period where they were like going through it like um 
they seem to have an otherwise like loving and mutually adoring relationship so I thought that was pretty neat I have other examples I just don't know how to place them right now um Mm. Dr. Dre has his Jupiter in the 12th house um in this decade I know it rules his Uh. um 10th whole sign house I'm just trying to place that like I don't know how that specifically um fits into his life I mean it also rules his 7th house so Mm. I have Um, one other Taurus moon um example this one's a mm -hmm. quick one like Michelle Kwan has her moon in Taurus in this oh yeah she does and on, you know, just the, the archetype that this is a very, this is like a fix-us-fuck decan, like, it's just very, very solid and the balance, right? Like, Michelle Kwan competed for over 10 years in wow. figure skating, which is freaking huge for that sport. Like, not, like, you know, people get injuries or people just, like, stop being good and stuff. But the fact that she was yeah. able to keep it going for over 10 years, um, yeah, I think that attracts Wait, wait, wait. I might have another example. So, um, Alexei Navalny, he is, um, he has his Jupiter conjunct the south node in his ninth whole sign house here. And, you know, um, I think it's very telling that he's like, no, kind of known for, I need to pull up his chart actually, because I can't remember if he is a, Gemini Midheaven or a Taurus Midheaven? Let me do that right now. Especially because he's in the news all the time now. Yeah. He just ended his hunger strike, actually. And I think wow. Venus is like going over his south node in the ninth right now. Um no, he's actually a Gemini um Midheaven. Oh, he's actually a good example for Taurus three. we're actually going to use him for Taurus 3 I just realized Um, but yeah uh, I think it's interesting that he is constantly critical of his homeland and like how it's run because you know he's a very prominent like political activist and opposition party leader in Russia for those of you who don't keep up with the news um but no, what's interesting is that he um, has a lot of degrees or like, you know, like certificates or like attendance things in um, important foundations. Like he um, got a scholarship from the um, Yale University's um, World Fellows Program. And like he, yeah, I don't know. He's very political <laughs> yeah. and he's very critical of like equity and solving problems around how resources are used he's against all the corruption in russia and um things like that um he has a lot of open enemies too because of it <laughs> which is telling yeah. Damn. I, I mean i think that's a pretty good segue to taurus three if you're ready oh god that. taurus three examples. Okay, um, Taurus 3, it's a double Saturn Deccan. Yes. Um, it's not, it's not painted as one of the nicer, cute Deccans. And what's funny is that, like, when you talk about Taurus, a lot of the, um, a lot of the stereotypical, um, 
Taurus is lazy. Taurus likes money all the time. Taurus is like whatever. It kind of breaks down once you get to this Deccan of Taurus just because of the heavy Saturnian influence. And then the last two terms, which span the majority of this Deccan, are both malefics. So it, yeah. And so <laughs> I don't know. How did you feel about the 36 secrets um, breakdown of this Deccan? I, I liked there? it. Um, yeah, I, I got a lot out of it. Um, I think the other thing, too, that I was thinking about with this Deccan is, um, as you said, it's double Saturn. And the only other Deccan that's double Saturn in um, is Libra 2. And mm-hmm. so I think it's really, really interesting that we get two double Saturn decans that are both Venus ruled <laughs> and are in Venus ruled signs. Yeah. And um, I think both have a lot to do again with just like that, that, that theme of just like the trust and faith, but it, it's based on like structure, right? There's like a foundation. There's like an agreement. It's mm-hmm. not blind faith by any means. It's like I put nope. in the fucking work <laughs> to um, to build like what I think is like a sturdy foundation. That then, that, but now I have to have faith that it's not going to fall and collapse. Yeah, I really liked how she talked about because um, the major that's also associated with this, besides the hero font, um, is the the world. And I think people usually think of the world as like this positive, like, yeah, like happy ending card. Um, Kind of, but not really. (laughs) It's kind of like a time thing. And like a lot of people forget that Saturn rules time, Mm -hmm. you know, like for a long time in the um, Islamic astrology as um, Professor... Ali A. Olomi uh, likes to talk about, um, you know, so like the astrologies of like the Persians, the Arabs, and all associated peoples who were living under these caliphates. And um, they use Saturn um, Jupiter conjunctions to mark time. And Saturn was like for the longest time the limiting, it, it was like the limit between like the known and the unknown. Like, it's the furthest thing out that's visible. And so, like, with the naked eye anyway, not, like, with microscopes, because that's cheating. <laughs> and so there's this... Ta- she talks about um, the world as being this card of um, providing the necessary boundaries. It's like, okay, like, she talks about um, cells, right? It's like cells have boundaries to keep stuff out so that, like the processes within them can flourish and do something useful. Um, Your uh, telomeres on your DNA degrade so that you don't get cancer, usually, if things are going right. Because when you have cells that live that long, they start doing weird things, and it's not good. And so people usually see endings and loss as, like, bad. But sometimes it's like you want things to have limits because um, if they don't, they get out of control. There's a sense of protection almost. And I think um, there's a sense of protection that shows up even with the way um, Austin conceptualizes this Deccan. He calls it a string of prayer beads. And I think it's interesting how, um, you know, the things that can, you know, bring loss or tragedy, which seems to show up with this Deccan, 
can also be things you use for protection or knowing how to deal with them um, uh, lets you know how to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, this, yeah, this deck in two, like, I, so it's funny. I actually drew the seven of pentacles yesterday. <laughs> so it's just like looking at the card. And um, one thing I think about this deck in and this card too is like um, the inevitability of failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, t- the timelessness mm-hmm. of failure and uh-huh. how we have to endure <laughs> through that. But we also have to look back and like learn from our mistakes. And that's how we keep going, right? Uh-huh. And so even for me drawing the seven of pentacles yesterday or even just what you're talking about of just like how sometimes like yeah these things can kind of like protect us is um my little seven of pentacles story yesterday was i um had to learn the lesson the hard way about why you should not schedule your second dose of vaccine appointment right before an incredibly (laughs) important meeting that you have to lead Oh no! It went fine. Like my, but my brain was very, very, very freaking foggy through the vaccine. I was already feeling the hour leading up as I was preparing for the meeting. I was just like, okay, like I have my agenda. Like I, my brain is like foggy. I really shouldn't take a nap right now because I'm like, oh no! Like let me just push through it. I pushed through it. It like ended up being fine. But like that that like that seven of pentacles like that, fa- that look on his face and he's just kind of looking down at his pentacles he's like oh what have like, i done what have i gotten myself into right yeah it's it's a very puzzling look right because he doesn't look like overly like upset about it but it is a really like a huh okay. it's like oh <laughs> you know oh, yeah um <laughs> yeah i think there's also um at least what i got out of austin's depiction of this is there's an element of negotiating with fate it's like, okay, this thing went bad, or I know that this thing could go bad. So it's like, I need to take out my insurance policy, whether it's literal insurance or um, just like, um, I guess, mitigating. It's like, okay, taking precautions. It's like, okay, I have to like literally petition some God so that X thing doesn't go wrong. Or... Um, I literally have to take out an insurance policy. So something I've noticed in some charts that I've been reading for people is that, especially when career indicators are in this decan, it's like, I won't be surprised if you're an insurance collector. Mm. I will not be surprised if you are in charge of securing those claims, accepting those claims, or rejecting those claims, (laughs) you know, depending on the planet (laughs) that is there. Um, Also about like, diagnosis and prevention when something else is already wrong that's another thing because you know with this deck and it's like okay you already have something wrong what do we do to fix it because it's like i really liked how um t susan described um what's it called how she described you know the sequence between the five six seven five is like okay i'm anticipating the problem six is like okay here's the opportune moment of like divine intervention because that's another thing that can come up with the um six of um pentacles but also that middle decan of taurus um and then the third decan is like oh shit what did i get myself into and how do i reorient now that the damage is done right Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, no, this can be a heavy decan, but, like, there is elements of, like, turning, you know, challenging situations into protection or using these challenging situations to, yeah. Yeah, I, 
one on that note, like I think one thing that stood out to me in Austin's workshop is, you know, he says like watch out for hubris in placements here as well because, mm-hmm. and I think that can come from like okay, like the divine intervention comes to Taurus two, Taurus three, or like oh shit, um, but things do tend to fall in place, especially if like if you're a Taurus, if you have Taurus placements in this decan, it just like, um, but I think there can be hubris and that can come with that because are just so used to like things just kind of working out and the example he gave quite a few examples but the example that stood out to me was that trump's midheaven in his 10th house is here uh-huh. conjunct and algal so- <laughs> yeah yeah oh one thing i want to say about fixed stars and decans um yeah there's like resonance there like with the algal myth but um i wouldn't use that because if you do your sidereal chart the conceptualization of the Deccans, like using um, Austin Coppock's method, still works, by the way. And so yeah. you'll notice really quickly that if you use your sidereal chart, Algol is at like zero Taurus or something wild in sidereal, um, or like two Taurus or something. And that's the first Deccan in sidereal. But these conceptualizations or narratives of the Deccans still work. And I'm just going to give like a random aside example. So my ascendant would be in Aquarius 2. And that's all about being like a bridge of sorts. And it's like, okay, look at my approach to astrology or like my whole life. It's bridging two different sides of myself so that I can get to some more interesting output. Because there are underlying principles in the things that I do that overlap. And they might seem worlds apart, right? But no, they're not. <laughs> There's a bridge. So, and that shows up. But like, I also have that first decan of tropical Pisces rising. And it's like, okay, my whole life is about wanting to be somewhere else. Like those things are simultaneously true. And so I wouldn't get too attached to associating fixed stars with decans. That's just me. But yeah. Yeah. Um, do you um, want to talk about the just the descriptions? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of gnarly, to be honest. So it is double Saturn. Was... So. It's double Saturn. <laughs> um. Okay. Ibn Ezra says a man whose feet are white and so are his teeth, which are so long that they can be seen outside his lips. His complexion is reddish and so is his hair. And his body resembles that of an elephant and a lion. And he is not reasonable. And all his thoughts are toward evil. And he's being, he's sitting propped up. There also ascends a horse, a dog, and a small calf. Uh, the Picatrix says, a man of ruddy coloring with large um, witch teeth appearing outside of his mouth. And a body like an elephant whose legs are long. And there ascends with him. One horse, one dog, one calf. And this is a face of laziness, poverty, misery, and fear. Agrippa says, a man whose hand is a serpent and a dart. And this is the image of necessity and profit and also of misery and slavery. And so, yeah, this seems doom and gloom, but like the Agrippa description really gets me, especially about necessity and profit. It's like, okay, how do I cut my losses how do I collect my insurance? How do I collect debt? How do I collect what is owed? Especially if somebody like lost something. Mm-hmm. Right? Because like when you're negotiating with fate or like if something happens, it's like, you know, there's a winner and there's a loser. Right? 
and somebody right. is collecting at somebody's expense. So that that's just what that makes me think of. And then the Yavana Jataka says, the last decanate in Taurus is a woman with a tender body. She has a bull's hump and wears a garland bright with flowers. Her eyebrows are fair and her girdle hangs over the circle of her buttocks. I don't know what that means, though. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, Taurus 3 um, examples. I mean, I have my I... son here. Like, Oh, yeah, talk about it. I have some good examples, too. For okay, I have yeah. my son here near Algol. Not, like, right there, but it's closer to Capulus, which is the sword that cuts Medusa's head off. And... I find that the way this plays out in my life is, um, so the sun rules my sixth house. A lot of my jobs have centered on doing stuff related to biomedical sciences. So finding explanations or potential like uh, mechanisms that will eventually lead to treatments for problems that people already have. And with the stuff around Algol and like losing your head, so to speak, um, the way that that has showed up literally in my life is I worked in a lab studying neurodegenerative disease. So, but then I'm also thinking about like my experience just working at the job. It's like, okay, yes, I have the skills, but I had to deal with so much bullshit. It's like, okay, I got the job I wanted, but like, now I have to deal with the side effects or after effects of like taking on this much responsibility. So like there's so much like toil in that deck in. And I do relate to that a lot. Um, and then I think um, in terms of like the type of work I want to do outside of astrology is um, related to, you know, diagnosing and treating medical problems and seeing how much you can actually do about it because <clears throat> the thing about medicine is that there's preventative medicine and then there's like the medicine that you use to treat people so it's like responsive rather than preventative and I think so far a lot of the work I've done has been on the okay cure side not even preventative it's like okay here here's how we respond to this but um it's just cool how that shows up in my life. That's yeah. really cool. And that's a good segue to my first example. Mm. I have a good Saturn and Taurus example. So Charles Pfizer, the founder of Pfizer. Oh my God. Wait a Saturn second. In this decan in the first house. You said, wait, <laughs> hold on. Charles Pfizer. Hold on. Ma'am, I, I have to see this because, um, you know, I might work for pharma. I know they're <laughs> evil, but a girl needs money. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope he pull up his chart. Um, yeah, so he's a Taurus rising with that Saturn, like, right in um what do you call it in that third decan and i you know so i read a little bit about him I'm, i didn't really know much about him obviously it's like a it's a name we're hearing a lot about now because of the covid mm -hmm. vaccine i got the pfizer vaccine just um yeah i got my second round yesterday but 
Yeah, I think it's really um, interesting because um, so so he started Pfizer farm like as this pharmaceutical company with his cousin, and they started out making antiparasitic meds, particularly against parasitic worms. Mm-hmm. And him and his cousin, his cousin is Charles Earhart, were like they were just known for being super super obsessed with the quality of their products um, to a point where, you know, once they finally founded the company, the slogan was just simply Pfizer quality. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think, I mean, that's very, very literal, right? Like the founder of what is now one of the largest pharmaceutical companies. Oh my God. You're also going to laugh. You're going to laugh. Um, no. Oh no, 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 no. Uh, no, wait. Okay. The Saturn Pluto conjunction in Capricorn, trying that fucking Saturn. <laughs> no. Oh god, you, you really can't make this shit up. You really, you really fucking can't. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm just looking at this chart because, like, it's like, dude, you founded this thing that, like, is making vaccines now and your name is on everything (laughs) yeah yeah still to like what like well over like 100 years later or 200 almost 200 years 200 years i can't Mm -hmm. but yes Mm -hmm. yep yep interesting yeah Yeah, the birth time's a little iffy for him because it is around it's a confirmed birth time on astrodata bank but it's rounded it's It's 7 a.m and it's a zero degrees taurus ascendant so i'm like meh but his Saturn is absolutely his Saturn is absolutely Taurus. in the third decade. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it would be ruling like the tenth anyway. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, ooh, I have some really good examples for Taurus three. Yeah. Uh, Karl Marx. So for those <laughs> yeah. of you who don't know, Karl Marx is ethnically Jewish, and. His um, paternal line actually produced a lot of rabbis in a particular part of Europe for like hundreds of years. And his dad, because um, um, Venus is dignified in Taurus, but in the third decan, and Venus rules the ninth whole sign house as well as the fourth. Um, but his dad uh, became like a well-off lawyer who owned property like he even had a winery too and um after some issues with granting um jewish people rights because this is around a time in europe when like all these right-wing super christian um super protestant um factions in like germany and central europe were like really just going ham and um his dad wanting to save the family's position um abandoned the family like he abandoned his like very jewish first name and um converted to uh christianity so that the family could assimilate um with the rest of the um you know white anglo-saxon um protestants of central europe (laughs) so i thought that was really telling because it's like okay here's what i have to do to protect myself and like you'll see throughout um, Marx's um, history is that on top of, you know, people not fully accepting him and his family, despite um, them basically trying to 
convert and assimilate. Because uh, part of the people, the reason people didn't like um, his wife marrying him was because it's like, okay, not only is he not like, yeah, he's middle class, but he's not like a noble. And then it's like, he's ethnically Jewish. We don't like that. And so people were upset about it. And um, on top of that, because everybody, there was like this right wing um, movement going on. A lot of the stuff he was publishing was um, very anti right wing, very um, anti like overly like religious. And so he had to like go into exile a lot and flee a lot um, because of the ideas he was publishing. And so I think like the ninth house connection with both his like family and ancestry, but also like his publication and his beliefs and his scholarship, making him have to like change location a lot just to, you know, um, protect himself and his family was um, pretty loud. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, so another example that I have is, so this is someone with his, um, his son, actually, and also Mercury retrograde too, in this third decan. And this mm-hmm. is Pope Pius the ninth. And um, yeah, Pope Pius the ninth is like a really interesting. So Pope, Pi- Pope Pius the ninth became Pope during a time when like, Look, for centuries before this, being Pope was one of the most powerful positions in the Europe, in, in Europe, right? In the, in the Western world. And mm-hmm. Popes, like, not only were, like, the head of the Catholic Church, but Popes also, like, were, like, lead, like leading um, armies into battle. Like, Popes were, like, constantly having mistresses and also had just, like, children who were also, like, like ruling, you know, getting, like, various, like, aristocratic titles. Like, Popes were very, very, very involved in the power plays across Europe. Like, a lot of just, like, the constant struggles and strife around Europe had to do with, like, revolve around the Pope, um, like, um the Pope giving his blessing around certain marriages or not, or, you know, one of the most famous things is like, you know, Henry VIII, like broke from the Catholic church because the Pope refused to grant him an annulment. Right. Wow. And so Popes were very, very much like involved and very much were temporal, like secular leaders, just as much as they were spiritual leaders. Mm-hmm. By the time Pope Pius IX became Pope, this is the late 1700s. There is a huge shift, right? Like, and some of it has to do with the Enlightenment. Um, we're starting mm-hmm. to get into the Industrial Revolution. He's now in this world where he doesn't have that same kind of secular power anymore um but he is considered um the father of the modern papacy because he really took it as an opportunity to be like well if i don't have that like i'm just gonna figure out how to like still be powerful but you know in this like spiritual catholic world he actually started out having pretty liberal ideals but quickly shifted gears into like hunkering down on the conservatism of the catholic Mm -hmm. catholicism and just being like no the catholic like doctrine is the ultimate truth and so he really hunkered down on that. And um, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was just a pretty good example of just like Taurus 3 of like, yeah, kind of a shitty situation, like subjectively for him that he kind of really took yeah. this opportunity to consolidate power. You know, uh, I have another interesting example. Um, Kamala Harris, she has her um, 12th house Jupiter on Algol, actually, um, ruling her uh, midheaven. And there was a point in her career um, where she was, I think it was the late 90s, early 2000s. And she was working in this district attorney's office. And 
she and one of her uh, colleagues got into it over a proposition um, that would basically allow um, minors or juveniles who are like 16 or not quite 18 yet to be charged as adults. I mean, it ended up passing and she campaigned against it. And I think this coworker got her um, essentially demoted at her job. Like she went from assistant um, district attorney to something lower um, and she had to quit. But what was funny is that like, I think six years later, what she ended up doing was like running against her former boss for the same position. And she ended up getting the DA position, like district attorney of San Francisco. And so I think it was interesting because she started out under this person. She, you know, challenged what she felt like was an injustice towards children, like who were being prosecuted or tried and, you know, basically paid the price and like got demoted. And then she's like, you know what? I'm quitting. And, you know, she built um, important relationships with certain people in California politics and, um, you know, the justice system there. And she was able to, like, take this guy's seat. It's like, okay, you basically demoted me. Like, and working under your office was, one, it was hell, and two, it was bad, right? You weren't even, like, doing what you were supposed to be doing. And so that's like one way that that eventually ended up working out for her. But, you know, she had to like rebuild basically um, after, you know, like getting demoted. Uh, mm. Do you have any other examples? I do. <laughs> I do. I have one that's like, it, it, you know, it's kind of actually to a similar vein that you were just describing with Kamala Harris, but not mm -hmm. as like, innocuous i guess so um kelly ripa has saturn retrograde in oh. this decade and i think it's a very interesting one to look at because one i mean obviously longevity is associated with this decade and especially mm -hmm. if you have saturn here right she is the host of like one of the you know very very long-running talk show that started in 1983 she actually she, she she started hosting in like 2000 so she's been hosting this thing for like over 20 years holy so crap there is just a very <laughs> obvious longevity um i mean just a quick aside um i forgot to mention even with my previous example pope Pius the ninth he's still the longest running pope of all time wow um longest reigning pope but anyway so back to kelly ripa um yeah i i do think it's so so yeah, her her um, Saturn and Taurus is in the ninth house. Um, it rules her fifth house and sixth house. I do think it's really kind of you know Saturn also represents age, right? Or it could be an elderly person, and the mm -hmm. fact that she rose to fame because she started co-hosting um, live with Regis and and what became Regis and Kelly, and mm -hmm. uh, you know Regis was a much older man, and yeah. she was younger, and it um their their chemistry actually ended up being like really really perfect for this show viewership shot up like extremely but it also shot up um particularly amongst a younger audience wait is she is she a leo rising um she is a virgo rising according oh, to astro data okay, yeah okay, she's okay. a virgo rising and so um and so, yeah, the fact that, like, that Saturn rules the fifth house, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it represents, like, it represents her kids, but I think it also just represents, like, youth or younger people in general. And so the fact mm -hmm. that she was able to bring in this younger audience, the fact that she rose to fame because of, like, a much older man, mm -hmm. um, 
and yeah she's still she's still got the show going on like i had no idea the show was still on here yeah i forget who her um co-host is now um ryan um ryan seacrest really there was someone else before him yeah i think so i mean she's gone so after you know uh, obviously like regis isn't the co-host anymore but um yeah i think um i think she did the same thing that regis did so when regis was trying to um replace um kathy yeah um he he had a he had a few kind of like hosts come in the guest host which is basically Mm -hmm. just like live tryouts and um you know, it's actually funny is Kelly, when she did her tryout episode, it was 2000. She, um, she was secretly pregnant with her second child. And they had, mm-hmm. this was an episode where they had an astrologer or psychic, a psychic on air. And the psychic was like live on air. It was like, you're pregnant. And Oh my God. Like, no, that's that. Like- that's that. Um, Saturn ruling the fifth and the ninth. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I, it's like, you can't hide from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she was just like oh my god like i didn't even tell my boss yeah like i haven't told anyone it was just like a really like (laughs) all live on tv yeah uh i have a couple of examples actually um Mm. so uh the first one is a saturn one i want to bring up uh miss barbara streisand again (laughs) um there was a time i think it was just after her Saturn return or around her Saturn return, um, she decided to start up her own, um, like, I guess, film production company. And she had to shop around a script that she wrote for a film, like, for, like, a while before one studio took it. And what was, like, annoying is that, like, she always got heavily nominated at the Oscars, but she would never get noms for, like... um, director actress blah 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 so it's like you know she spent a while you know trying to write her own films and create her own things and it's like she'd get far enough to get acknowledged you know by the oscars and stuff but um never for like you know the highest tier categories and so like the whole like trying hard trying hard trying hard but like regardless i think she's one of the few people who has an emmy a grammy an oscar and a tony so she's like an EGOT person anyway, but like not for like, you know, the work that she wanted to direct on her own, mm. which is like, and you know, she's like one of those people who like, basically it's like, I've worked hard to like build myself up and get here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, another person I am thinking of is Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex mm. and his moon is in the fifth hole sign house in this deck in I think really close to his IC. Do all these and British royals have moon and Taurus? <laughs> moon and Taurus, Sun and Taurus, Leo rising, Cancer rising, Cancer something. It's like Taurus God. Leo Cancer. Taurus Leo Cancer with some Pisces. Like it's so weird. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's huh. Taurus, Leo Cancer, um Pisces, then Sag and Capricorn. Everything else is kinda eh, you know? um but anyway like yeah he has his moon in the third decan of taurus near his ic i think it's interesting um because the moon is also the second triplicity lord of his ascendant and so what you can do with this technique is see how like life will be between like in the first 30 years middle 30 years last 30 years and right now he's in that like middle phase what did he do he got married 
to someone he's really happy with. He also moved somewhere else and he's like further elevated his um status because like I mean, you know, he he's born into royalty, but like now he has his own money and his net worth is like higher and he's doing all these like charitable projects and stuff. And I thought it was interesting that a lot of his concern was about like moving his um wife and children to where he felt safe and supported because he wasn't feeling that in the monarchy. So like there that theme does show up with his moon, especially because it's close to um also is close to Algol and Capulus and all that stuff. And I think he, his brother and his mom, I think his brother and his mom have Venus there. And then he has his moon there. So like um that's a really strong signature in that family. Yeah. I had no idea. That's fascinating. Yeah. Do you have any other examples? Because I still have some. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't have any more. Okay. Um, quick one is Ariana Grande. She has her Venus rejoicing in the fifth whole sign house, ruling her tenth whole sign house. And something about her is that she gets into these really intense romantic entanglements. And you'll notice really quickly that with some of her albums, you'll see that... Um, a lot of her albums are inspired by those relationships, even if they don't last. That's and yeah. so, I mean, fifth house romance, Venus art, you know, 10th whole sign house, like her career. I mean, it works for her. It's a great formula for her. Um, I think that Venus is also near Algol. And so like, yeah, no, girl's been through some shit. And I think, she like finds ways to like incorporate it into her music especially lately with the last couple albums um and then i have bob dylan who actually has a stellium in his tour sixth house it's um the moon um jupiter i think it's the moon conjunct saturn and then jupiter conjunct uranus in the second oh my god all in this decade. Wow. All in this decade. And it's just like, okay, I looked at his chart and it's like, okay, I'm surprised he has like literally four freaking planets in Taurus, but I'm also not. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Bob Dylan. Uh, his ascendant ruler is in this decade. And one thing that you'll notice quickly about Bob Dylan is that like he has hella names. He has so many names. And he's just like, you know what? Like, I think he said in an interview once, like, yeah, sometimes you're born with the wrong name, but then, like, you eventually figure out which one is right. Um, and then um, there were two other things that stood out to me is that he is someone who changed genres a lot because as he got more um, rewards for, like, the things he did, it just made him feel weird and he needed to get away from it. Like, he was very into, like, folk music at first when he first got started and he was, like, into all of these, like you know, um, protest movements because a lot of folk artists used um, song as a form of protest. And um, I think there was a point where he got an award from some people and he was just like, and this was around the time JFK got assassinated. Speaking of JFK, he actually has like placements in Taurus. I think even in this decade of Taurus, I can't remember which ones though. Um, and they're in his eighth house. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, JFK has like an eighth house Taurus stellium. It's kind of funny. 
Uh, anyway. Interesting. No. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I am going to have to look at that chart. Yeah, look at his chart oh. again. I can't remember. I know there's stuff in one and there's stuff in three. I just don't remember like what order. But anyway, uh, Bob Dylan got some award and he's just like, honestly, I see so much of like what I hate in the people who like gave me this award in myself and the person who like shot JFK. He's like, I, I don't want any parts of this. But the most striking thing was that he actually had a, like a because um, his ruler of the third house, which is like vehicles, and then the ruler of his ascendant are in the sixth and Saturn rules bones right mm -hmm. he actually had a motorcycle accident like in i want to say the late 60s uh this might have been just before his saturn return actually he had a really bad motorcycle accident and he broke a bunch of like cervical um vertebrae in his neck oh jeez! and he he was a recluse after that he like just didn't he didn't leave his house he didn't want to perform he didn't do anything he stayed home and he wrote songs. He didn't want anybody to see him. And it wasn't until like eight years after that. So just after like his Saturn return had finished and like almost approaching his like first opening Saturn square that he began like releasing the songs he was writing and went on tour again. Yeah. Uh, and then also like whenever he would change genres, the people who like overly identified with him like would get really upset. And he didn't care because that's what he wanted. Yeah, it's like, come on. It's that Uranus there. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because um, Bob Dylan is like coming up on his Uranus return. Oh my God, he's that old. <gasps> Damn. Wow. Yeah, I guess he is that old. Yeah, I... but the exact return doesn't come till like later. But like he started the phase, basically. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any more examples. I guess one thing that like, I, I mean, I, I'm still like processing this is like, like, I don't have any, I, I don't have any placements myself in this decade. Mm -hmm. But like, both, so I have two sisters, I have two younger sisters, they both have Venus and Taurus. And, um, but one of them has her Venus in this decade ruling her Libra rising. And so that means this is in her eighth house. And mm -hmm. Um, this is the same sister I've talked to you about who has like every, nearly every planet in domicile or exaltation. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I really do think this Venus in the eighth house ruling her ascendant, um, even though it is a Venus in domicile, it's still in the third decade. And um, mm -hmm. I think it has brought a, like a lot of struggles for her despite having like a quote unquote like strong chart. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, even with like what people don't realize, they're like, oh, how come like all my planets are this? And like, it's like, okay, when planets are like, I mean, if there are planets in exaltation that answer to each other, that's great because then they can actually support each other. But like when all the planets are in domicile, it's like, there's no reason for us to have a relationship. I'm good on my own. So then you find that parts of your life are so compartmentalized that like, there's just no reason. <clears throat> there's no reason to engage like zero um and it's hard for you to like the different parts of your life to come together to like form a cohesive narrative they all want to do their own thing um but in the case of like oh my sister i forgot to mention my sister because she's also a taurus but she's a first decade taurus she has her son i mean she has the same setup as like 
Elizabeth II, Cap Rising, First Deccan, Taurus Sun, ruling the Eighth Whole Sun House. But my sister's um, son is actually conjoined her IC in Taurus. And hmm. I mean, I just think about that in terms of her like having fears about like really branching out and going on her own because she's like concerned about my parents and she lives in the same city as them still. But there's also an element of especially my dad being really concerned about her and just glad that she sticks around, you know? Um, And then she has Mercury in the third decan of Taurus ruling her sixth house and her ninth house, I believe. And I think it's just her love-hate relationship with, like, work and school because she wants to do something creative and artistic. Mm. And so she'll, like, start things and she won't finish. Or she'll, like, keep trying to do, like, things and then she won't finish. Um, But I think, like, that will get better with time. Or just, like, finding herself getting into weird situations in her workplace. So there is, like, there's that that goes on, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. It it it's it's a it's not a bad Deccan. It's a rough Deccan. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rough Deccan, but yeah, you're right. It's not a bad Deccan. Um I I had fun recording this podcast. Again, there is like a lot of tourist bias. Like not only do I have tourist placements, but like every loved one in my life has something. Like a lot of people yeah. are really close to me. Like I just mm-hmm. mentioned my sister's like guy I'm dating has like a Taurus stellium and the seventh house. And it's, and so he, he has plans to all three of the decades. Yeah. My, like my sister, my mom, my aunts, like I, I know a lot of Tauruses. Like I just do. Um, so yeah, I'm biased. Happily <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, yeah uh wait so before we like sign off like do you have anything any updates um readings are still closed um i just did a really cool workshop with uh Alyssa sorio um they're known as um, praxis astrology on twitter and it was on astrology and or organizing and esoteric arts because we both used to work at the same labor union and are brilliant organizers yeah so (laughs) that was like a lot of fun but other than that that's kind of it for me how about you uh okay like my books are open okay they're open but like i need to get things set up for may and i might not be booking very much in may no i take that back i will not be booking very much at the end of may because i have some intentions to travel for a wedding and to see my family i haven't seen in for freaking ever thanks to this pandemic uh i not like now but like um i know i want to register to speak at some point later this year for um astrology toronto um i don't know when that's happening but that's in the pipeline i just recorded an episode with um uh kira who's the astrology she runs the astrology show she's brilliant like she's awesome if you don't follow her already you need to because you're out of the loop um and uh jake green aka the king of lots literally check out his stuff if you want to know what the lot of fortune and spirit actually do but also like hermetic lots and how to just incorporate them into your practice he's doing great work so we all recorded an episode on using the lots 
I came at it from more of like the angles from fortune and what it means for zodiacal releasing perspective. And he was literally just like bringing all these like gems and wisdom about um, how to use the lots natally, like not even with timing techniques, just like interpreting them natally. And that's coming out in like, so two weeks from today, well, not today, Monday. No, it's a week from Monday, this coming Monday. So the first Monday of May. First Monday of May. Yeah, it's coming out. And yeah, so that's all I have going. Other than that, like my books are open. Stay on the lookout for signups for May considering closing in june because yeah i i I think i need like a break from readings i'm hoping mar my big hope for mars and cancer is to figure out what i'm going to do with my astrology practice moving forward but i think one thing i want to do for sure whether it's going to be an astrologer in my professional work or just like my own work so this is going to be trans it's transiting my third house like i want to write more and so I am exploring the idea of just like using my website, not just as like a place to book readings, but to actually have like more written content that's more than just Twitter threads. So mm. yeah, wish me luck on that. Yeah, I, it's funny that she mentioned that because like um, later this month, I, well, this month, like May, like fuck April, it's May. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I move into my third house perfection year in the middle of may so if you see me like doing more podcast things one please stop me and two (laughs) if i i'm contemplating writing more because i do want to share more of what i know i mean i love podcasting but i think it'd be good to put pen to paper and get some stuff out there but yeah, I guess like that's it for me. But if you don't have anything more, pal, we're going to sign off and see you guys Gemini season. Awesome. Enjoy Taurus season, everyone. Bye.